is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. Hey, it's Jacqueline with systemsforselfcare.com where I teach you to consistently take daily action so you can feel happier, healthier, and more confident. Today on the podcast, I have Michaela. How are you doing? Great. How about you? Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah. I'm really excited to have you. Um, you're an athlete, you're a teacher, you're in high leadership position. Um, this is, I'm really excited for today's podcast, just talking to someone else who has been in the education world and had to relearn how to take care of themselves. This will be really good. Yeah. So before we get to being a teacher, I want to hear more about you just like growing up. So you were an athlete growing up. What did you play? What did that look like for you? So I, sports were my life, um, growing up. So when I was seven, I started playing soccer. My mom says I cried because I didn't want to try it. Um, and then honestly, I just never stopped. So soccer was my favorite sport. I played it every season, all, uh, all seasons of the year traveled competitively. We were competitive, uh, in our state in high school. And the, the thing was that my passion, my favorite sport to play was soccer, but I was better at softball. So I played softball as well competitively. And then I had to make a decision when I was going to college, I had a scholarship to play and I just didn't love it enough. I didn't, I, I pictured my life in college. And what I pictured was continuing this other passion I had, which was working with youth. Uh, I worked a lot in substance abuse, prevention, leadership, peer leadership, and that's what, that was, what was, I was looking to grow in college. So I had to make the decision and that moment that that just wasn't going to be, I didn't, I wasn't going to continue that. So I was able to coach though in when I was teaching. So I was able to coach soccer and I coached softball for a year and that was really great. So, and I continued just to play soccer for forever until, until I was 33, 32. And I stepped into that high leadership position and I, I, that's where everything fell apart. <laughs> but um, that so, playing soccer was just something that fed me. So it was something I did with students when I was a teacher, like we play pickup games in the summer. It was just a way to connect with other kids, other teachers. And it, it, that was like a co- the common sport that everybody could understand because it's played around the world with soccer. So that was really um, a way to connect with my students once I was older. And it was a way to, for me, just to have a lot of fun and get the best exercise. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've been reading a lot of, um, books on trauma and books on CBT, but they talk about how important it is to be a part of a community and be doing something with your body, like those things. And you don't think about that as therapy, but it really is like, you're just, you're a part of a bigger purpose and like doing something with people. Yeah. I honestly had never, because I think because it was part of my life and it really was there's never a question. It was just, I was playing sports. Soccer was my number one. So that was the one I was always looking forward to, or I was like doing community service or I was in choir. Like those were the things I was doing. So it was just part of, it was part of me. And I never realized other than the pure enjoyment I got out of it. And I loved the competition part of it. And it's also really a way I was shy. So playing sports, like I was always playing on the playground, like with boys during recess and, you know, playing basketball, soccer, whatever sport I could get my, I could play because that was where I felt at ease and I could connect, um, and kind of get out of that shyness. And I didn't realize until 
probably a few years into me finding it impossible and continuing to just lose ground or, or think I found figured out a way to work it back into my life and then not and then where I really realized oh that actually that's that is missing I need to get that back so I didn't know it at the time but I learned it I learned it that lesson big time once yeah. I really needed it so you you were a teacher what did you teach I taught uh, high school special education and history okay and then when you moved up in uh, into a leadership position mm-hmm. that's when like you just didn't have time yeah, to do other was, things yeah it was more of uh it was definitely a time thing so it, I played soccer I was playing like on five teams leading up to becoming a principal and I was just loving life. So assistant principal role was great for me. I was doing all that. I was t- getting my doctorate, taking classes. I was teaching at the college level too. And, you know, just doing awesome in the assistant principal role with this incredible team. So team's really important to me. I'm not somebody who goes out and says, I'm going to do it all by myself. I love having just that sense of team and trust. So when I was moved, I, I didn't apply, but they moved me to become a principal at a low perform. I love low performing schools too. Like it's my favorite place to teach and work because it's really fun to be like, Hey, we can do this and really figure out how to, you know, kind of climb out of that hole. Um, and that sense of community is strong where I was placed just had a really toxic environment. So it was a combination of two things. And this is, this was nine years ago. So this is a lot of reflecting and trying to figure out what exactly happened. Cause I say until that point, I never had a bad day, which is like a really big, 180. Um, it was one was the fit. Yes. The time. So I found myself constantly not showing up to soccer games. So there'd be a game say at like six o'clock or seven o'clock on a Sunday night or a Monday night. Um, and I'd have something come up, especially on the weeknights unexpectedly that I had to stay at school for, or had to have a meeting for that having to say no, or let my team down because it was co-ed. So, you know, you don't have that many girls playing. So yeah. when you're not there. You know, your team's going to play a person down. The guilt really consumed me. So I would, I just stopped. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I feel so bad saying that always saying I can't do it. And then what I didn't understand at the time was because I was really good in high stress situations. What I didn't realize at the time was happening was anxiety and depression coming over this cloud and, and really making it difficult for me to even move like that. So now I don't mean like move, like take one step, like walk. I just mean yeah. move in an exercise sense. So I kind of just stopped because of that as well. And then I stopped running. I stopped everything because I felt I was paralyzed essentially by what was the, the mental aspect and the emotional aspect of the work but I didn't know at the time that that was going to last for so long or have the impact it had. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm just trying to, so like work was all consuming. You couldn't make it to like a game. And then like after the work day or after the school day, you were just drained and just didn't have energy to do something for yourself. Yeah. What I found was my coping mechanism was solitude was just to go home and kind of sit in like a quiet, dark and dark room and yeah. just isolate myself, which again is not, not something I had ever done. I'm not a social butterfly, but I'm shy, but I 
had lots of things that I did. I spent time with my family and I found myself just really isolating because I never knew how I was going to kind of be at the end of the day, if I was going to be completely wrecked, if I was going to be emotional, if I was just going to be frustrated or tired and I didn't know how to explain it. So I didn't, I just kind of isolated myself. And so I wasn't, so to deal with those emotions going for, I would try to go for a jog and then I would be frustrated with myself because I wasn't running at the same pace I was running at, you know, say, say eight months earlier, Yeah. not even close, like not even. And I'm like, I know that I can get out of shape fast, but this isn't right. So then the frustration would kick in where I was beating myself up for not being at the level that I had been at previously. And I had not, nobody talked to me about that. So I didn't understand how to accept a new way of all I knew was the old Michaela and how the old Michaela played soccer, how the old Michaela ran. And I didn't understand what was happening. So I just cut the frustration, the additional frustration just maybe kind of just stop. Yeah. Yeah. If you are an athlete and that's like your strut, like that's like part of your identity. Mm -hmm. And then to go like, Oh, I'm running really slow. Or I'm like, I'm not being the best that I could be like it, it hurts. It like hits at that identity. So then it's just like, why even bother? Yeah. Yeah. I just oh. felt that I wasn't, yeah, it was, you know, there's so much reflection that happens over nine years, especially with, it wasn't just like, I just didn't try to find it, figure out what was going on because I start, I gained 70 pounds from over in probably five years. If I really think about it, I've never, I used to fluctuate. I love food. I always was running or playing a sport. I'd fluctuate up and down. Um, but never to the extent of like, it was just, it was crazy. There were health problems. I was in the hospital because my, the school nurse thought I was having a stress induced heart attack. I was 35. I, like, I couldn't understand it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, like there was almost like, I was so there's, it's not shame. I was just really disappointed in myself. And I think really, I was really sad. Actually, it was almost like mourning the loss of this part of me Mm -hmm. that couldn't perform that way anymore. So like, Mm -hmm. I was so used to playing co-ed soccer, you know, at 31 playing against kids that were like 21, right. And winning, or, you know, Mm -hmm. being on the teams that were being asked to play on the co-ed teams that were playing at a pretty high level. And I was proud of that. You know, just, I enjoyed it, but I was like proud of it inside. Like, all right. Like I still kind of got it. And then I didn't have it. And I was really, I was really sad about that. And I thinking back, I think that's what the feeling was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a part of you that's no longer there. Yeah. So what, so you would come home from a work day and you would be stressed out or, and you would isolate. And then with food, was it just, was it stress eating? Yes. I mean, yes. I I noticed that pretty early on, probably within, probably within like a a year or two into that, I, I started to notice like, Hey, because I love food. So I didn't go from having some strict diet to like letting that all go. I always just love food but I always could keep it in check. Right. Like, okay, well, I gotta, you gotta, I gotta rein it in a little bit or whatever. Um, but I was, I used to say like, that, that's the only time I feel happy in the day is yeah. when I'm coming home. And plus I was also not cooking for myself. I had just gone through a, through a divorce, uh, in that time. And that, that was okay. Emotionally I was okay. Cause I was in, I was in a better place, but I wasn't cooking for 
a, a, you know, my husband anymore, my ex-husband, yeah. I wasn't cooking for our family. So my desire to like cook anything also went completely up. So I was stopping by at the local market to get, you know, food to bring home. And then I'm sorry, my dogs are barking. It happens all the time. Um, and then <laughs> from home life, I get it. <laughs> just don't stop. Um, but, uh, you know, I was sort of stopping on the way home and yeah. then I was getting things that I loved to eat, which of course it wasn't going to be, let me pick up the salad from the salad bar when I had all these other options. So I was doing that routinely and it, it was catching up to me in ways I, I just didn't realize. And yeah. then by the time I realized it, I was so far down a road that I would try, like when I would have two weeks off, say around Christmas, I always took Christmas break. Like we did, we were 12 months when I was a principal, but I always said for the entire Christmas break, if it was a week, two weeks, I'm not stepping foot in the building. I need this pause. And during that time, I'd start to feel like myself again. And I'd rec- it would take me about like five days. And then I was so excited to, I was like, oh, I'm back. Like, I feel myself back and I'd go to the gym, you know, maybe like three or four days. I'd start reading a ton of like wellness articles and I would feel, and, I'd, and then I'd make a plan for when I went back, uh, yeah. when school would start back up in January. And I'd be so excited. And three days, four days in, the whole thing would be out the window. And then that just made me feel worse. I went through that cycle probably for like five or six years of yeah. just trying to con- like feeling great out of that stressful environment, trying to get back, trying to get it back, being excited and then not having it work out. And that was confusing to me, but also again, frustrating and, and just sad. I thought it was never going to happen again. Yeah. I think what's hard, like hearing all of this, I can, so much of it resonates with what happened with me in my teaching career in my early twenties and not knowing how to take care of myself. And, but also to like, I think in the, when you talked about the going to get food, like I would go and get French fries, I would go and get French fries from McDonald's before I got onto the highway to make my commute home. And it's like the French fries were the happiest part of my day. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what I don't like about like, with like diet culture is like, there's so much shame around that, but it's like, no, I was doing the best that I could with the tools that I had. Like that was literally the best way that I could take care of myself. Is it the best way? Nope. That's what I, that's what I knew at the time. Right. And so it's like that too, like you, you were doing the best that you could, was it the best, Eh, but it was what you could do at that point. And that was hard too. It's interesting. You put it that way because it's true. I was doing the best I could at that point. And I had a couple of really close friends who had seen me, who knew me before and then knew me once I started to go through this and, you know, just fierce females who are like, you need to stop beating yourself up. Cause I'm really hard on myself. Aren't yeah. we all like, especially if we're just, we're hard on ourselves. And, you know, they'd say like, you need to focus on, you know, you need to accept yourself. You need to work on this. And I, it didn't make sense in my head. Like it, I couldn't understand it. Like all this talk of self-acceptance. And I just didn't understand because I had always been confident. I wasn't feeling, well, actually, I guess I was feeling less confident, but like, I wasn't, I don't know. It was just, it was, I could not put it all together until a lot later, like a couple of years ago, but I had friends saying to me, like, you're doing the best you can. But to me, that wasn't good enough, but yes, it was the best I could do at that time for sure. Yeah. So how did you work yourself out of this. So I, I like what you said, like, this is years long. This wasn't like, like, Oh, great. I found this pan on the internet and it fixed everything (laughs) in three weeks. I, I kind of called it like, I, I used to call it, this is going back a couple of years ago. 
I called it like a, almost like a, an education. Like, like I educate, I, I took, I could get a degree in how to help yourself and what's out there because I never looked at that stuff. Again, being an athlete, I wasn't reading about being an athlete. I wasn't reading about what best plan to do, especially when I wasn't competing at the collegiate level. And then I was just, I was competing for me and I was performing for me. So, and for a team, right? So I just got so much gratification out of it. I wasn't reading anything about health. Why did I need to? I was in my twenties. I was in my, you know, early thirties. I was healthy. Like I went to see my doctor. She'd tell me like, lay off this. I'm like, okay. And then like, that was just, just move on. Um, and I was always fulfilled. I never had a bad, like I said, I really didn't have a bad day. I loved my job. I loved teaching. I loved everything about my life. So it hit hard. It, it hit hard when all of a sudden everything changed. And so once I realized things had changed and once I, about two years into that role, got diagnosed with PTSD uh, from the role I'd had a, a stalker who was anonymous at that time on my faculty and the, the toll that all of it was taking on me, I'm the type of person who's going to push through. I'm always going to push through. And also because my, my purpose was to be there to, you know, serve kids and, and teachers. Like that was my entire purpose. So I would never let anybody see me sweat. You know, I'd go in my bathroom in my office and cry, no double doors. Nobody could see me the bathroom. That thing was gross, but like, it really was really a good buffer. Um, but you know, it took me a really, it took me two years to identify that what I was feeling wasn't okay. Like more than just like, Hey, I need to feel better. Like actually something I think is, is something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So once I went through and once I was diagnosed with that and starting to understand what was going on, even though I had never had anxiety in the past, um, I started to look into ways to cope with it because I was immediate, I was on medication almost immediately. So I was like, okay, how can I cope with this? So even though in the not being able to implement a certain strategy or plan when I would come off like a, a period of time of feeling good, it was still a learning process. It was still a learning, right? So yeah. I did a ton of reading. I read lots of articles um, and I would try different things. I also, of course, signed up for every single like, oh, Weight Watchers worked in the past. It was so easy. Let me try it. Didn't work for me at that point because there were other things I think I needed versus just the program, right? But I didn't understand that either. So that so the learning process for me was just a lot of like trying and then having it not really work the way I expected it to until I finally said, it took a long time to get here, but I said, my, the, it's the environment. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change something that I don't have control over. Like I'm trying to change all the stuff I do have control over, but there's something that's bigger than that. And so when I, I made a decision that I was going to focus more on my own health and that worked a little bit. Um, I, I use Peloton. I, that was really helpful to me to have an at home option because then I didn't have to worry about signing up for a class at the gym and then missing it. And all of that guilt I had and sadness around missing a soccer game, I could just work out on my own terms. That went okay for a little bit. I started that like, I can't believe it was like five years, four years ago. Mm -hmm. I was all right. But it was once I actually made the decision to say, no, I'm actually going to act on this and I need to step away from this role. And this, it's not, it's, I'm carrying too much of the trauma that happened. I'm carrying so much of this weight with me when I made that actual decision to do that is when I was able to 
really focus on myself as far as getting the workouts in. And I would love to say that, like, I could have figured it out earlier, but it just, that was my process for getting to that point. And now that it's been about a year or so of me, like making sure that I am getting workouts in and being okay with the fact that it's not a two hour workout. Like it was when I was in my twenties at the gym. Cause that was also hard for me to accept, um, that it's more for how I feel to help manage the anxiety mm-hmm. to, you know, to help manage all the stuff I have to do in a day shifted my, shifted my perspective to be excited about working out, knowing I need it, knowing it's helping me just, you know, manage my day better or mm-hmm. be happier. That's, that was the process for me to get there. So it was a tough one. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm there, I would never change it. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, I, I think we'd all like it to not take as long as it has to take, but it's like, well, you kind of have to go through all of those obstacles and learn from it. But I want to clarify. So you, did you, you left that role, the, the toxic yeah. environment? Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's like a really good thing to mention because while it is important to like exercise and eat healthy and read the self help books and meditate and all mm-hmm. those things, like if those are like band-aids on like a deep wound yeah. and if you don't like, yeah, if you don't pay attention to the thing that's actually like causing all of those things, it's not going to. And that's gonna- where I think it's important. Like I, I did, I had a therapist, I was seeing her regularly throughout this and, and she was trying to help me understand. She's like, Michaela movement is missing out of your life. You were an athlete. Like she's the first yeah. person that, that had ever said that to me. And I had never thought about that. And this was probably two years in at least to maybe even more, uh, to like the struggle. And she said, Michaela y- movement's important. I didn't know that. Like, I didn't understand what role it played in my life. Yeah. And I think if I had understood what could possibly be coming, the role that it plays in my life. Like I just had no clue. And because I didn't have a clue once I was in it, like in it, in it, it took me so long to figure it out, which is why I'm glad that I hear, maybe it's me, maybe I'm just listening more, but I feel like it's talked about so much more now. And there's people like you who are doing podcasts on this and talking about your experience, because maybe if I had if I had known that or known to anticipate it, then I would have had the plan going in, you know, if that makes sense. Like instead of just, Hey, I'm playing soccer all the time. Cause it's so much fun to know. I need to make sure that this is the thing I keep in my life. I didn't even know that exercise could help anxiety until my close friend, she was like, Michaela, my dad, I, cause she struggled with anxiety. She was like, my dad said to me, do you know why I run every day? And she said, no. And he said, it's, I'm not training for a marathon. It's because this one thing, like, if, what if I told you there was one, if you did one thing every day for the, for the rest of your life, you wouldn't feel the way you've been feeling. Would you do it? And she's, she's like, yes, of course. He said, well, that's, that's for me. That's uh, it was running at that, that when he was 75, it became biking. But mm-hmm. she said to me, Michaela, that's why I run. Cause I knew like, that's the one thing she will not uh, compromise is her, like, even if it's a 20 minute run, she's always running. Mm-hmm. And she used to say to me, like, there is something that you can put in your day every single day that will make a difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, if you think about those, it's like, like elementary kids, elementary school kids go to gym class, they go to recess, right? High school, you have a gym class and you have a sport that you play. And even in college, you're walking around a campus yes. a ton. Yes. Right. Yes. And then we get to adulthood 
and poof, you walk to your car, you walk from your car to your, your workplace and your heart rate, like your heart rate elevates because of stress, but it never, it never gets to calm down. It never, you never get to like release stress hormones. It's just constantly bottled up inside of you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like I noticed that, like I started to, I had, you know, people are like, Oh, why do you have an Apple watch? I'm like to monitor my heart rate. <laughs> like that's really what it came down to. At first I got it because I thought, Oh, let me just be more accessible to people when I'm in the building. So I got the <laughs> Apple watch that you could like, you know, get a phone number for so that like, I could like text message and like get phone calls while I was walking the building. Like, okay, let me be more accessible. So I ended up deactivating that like last Good. year, but, but for a long time, that's why I got the Apple watch at first. Then I realized I was paying attention to my heart rate a lot because I realized that, I mean, there were times my heart, my blood pressure has always been like 117 over 75 or 110 over 70 it was always just, it was always great. And one day, this is a couple of years ago. I mean, I, I can start to, I, I can tell at that point, my body, I, my body always felt the anxiety or the stress before I, my mind even recognized something was happening. So I could feel it. And so I went down to my, can nurse, you share what like, it felt like? What, how would it feel? I would start to get, um, like clammy. So just like, you know, just a weird sweaty, just the clammy feeling. Sometimes yeah. I'd feel cold and clammy at the same time. So I'd be like sweating. Yeah. My stomach would start to feel nauseous. Um, I'd feel a little bit lightheaded, not to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm going to pass out, but just, I didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, and I would have this like nauseous feeling, not like I'm nervous about something, just like actually feeling, starting to feel like sick to my stomach. And um, I would feel my, my, uh, my heart, I would feel like my, my heart just kind of starting to, to kind of race a little bit again, not, not the kind of heart racing. If you like, I can't think of it. Like if you have a workout, it's the bad kind where it's starting to beat fast and you're like, why is this happening? And I would start to recognize that as, uh, like as anxiety. And I, I'd be like, Oh, wait. And I would think back, like, let me think back 10 minutes. Let me think back an hour. What was I, what did I just do? Like what could have triggered it? Right. So my body always my body always responded first, which is annoying because I love my mind to respond first so that I could avoid the trigger. Right. But like, that just isn't how it works. So I went to see my, the school nurse and I was like, can you just do me a favor and take my blood pressure? Cause a couple of colleagues were like, you don't look good. Like your face is completely flushed. Like you need to, like, you just don't, you don't look good right now. I was like, I don't yeah. feel good right now. And my blood pressure was 150 over a hundred. I, when she said those numbers to me, I was devastated because at that point I was trying to focus on myself. It was only a couple of years ago. And I was like, man, like I'm actually really, I'm trying, right. I'm trying. Yeah. I, I was still not doing the healthiest stuff, but I was actually trying at that point. And, you know, to know that these situations could still evoke that kind of physical response. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, this is not okay. Like I'm at that point, I was like 38 and I am always healthy. And right now my blood pressure is 150 over a hundred. Like what, this is, this isn't okay. So, um, my heart rate, I paid attention to that all the time. So like whenever I started to feel a certain way, I would look down and I'm like, oh my gosh, my resting heart rate is 95. My resting heart rate is a hundred. Like I know that it should be between 60 and 80. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's how I kind of gauge now to like it, when, when I'm facing a decision or something environmentally, I, I kind of check my heart rate. I'm like, Wow, today my resting heart rate was 92. 
but you know, three days ago it was 74. So like something's up and I kind of pay attention to those, to that now to let me know, like, okay, you're a little anxious about this. Like, Hey, let's get some workouts in. Did you take it? You know, Hey, you probably haven't done that in a couple of days. Let's drink some more water. You know, I think you had sugar the past two nights before bed, like just making me think back to, okay, like, what do I need to correct so that it's not getting out of control? Yeah, no, I'm glad that you mentioned that too. Cause it's like, when someone see those, sees those numbers, that could be a, like a shame story. Like, oh, you're the worst, but it, or it could just be like, oh, all right. This is, this is why this happened. Okay. What can I do to change this? So this doesn't continue to happen. Like those cues can just, it can just be data that can actually help you and not be another story about how you effed up. Yeah. I think I, is, I wasn't mad at myself. I, I, but I had a lot of anger at I just had, I had a lot of anger at, I, at what happened. So what I'd be angry at, like in the worst and the toughest times, I would go back to 2013 in January when I was told I was being taken out of my favorite role that I was only in for like five months as assistant principal at this uh, high school in the city where I'd worked. And I was being placed at the high, another high school as principal. And I was a not, I mean, not like not even thinking about that. I was so yeah. happy doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. B, I was like, what? <laughs> and C, I was like, I didn't apply for this. And also like, I, I'm going through a divorce, like literally just got separated. Also I'm taking like doctorate classes and I'm yeah. also like, this is probably not the best time. Yeah. And also just, I'm happy. So thank you. But I'm, I'm flattered, but no thanks. And then to be told you have no choice um, in this matter, like you could lose your job if you don't do this. I did it because I'm like the good employee, right? Always going to be the good team player and also like didn't want to lose my job. So I I did it. And, um, that I wasn't mad at myself. I didn't have regrets for how I handled it because I don't think in that moment I could have, like, I don't know that it would have been smart to say, to maybe call their bluff and say like, are you really going to not renew my contract next year? If I say no, um, Michaela now would have been like, see ya. I'm like, you're going to no, know, I don't think so. But, but 30, 31 year old, 32 year old Michaela, who hadn't ever seen the bad of the world. Like I, I didn't know what I didn't know. So um, I had a ton of resentment towards that moment in time. Yeah. And then what it led to. So I would have a lot of like, when I would see the metric, the heart rate or the high blood pressure or any really, honestly, anything like these pants don't fit <laughs> or like, I feel terrible. I didn't get that workout in or I was crying all of a sudden, or I was having a three day, you know, anxiety attack, or I started having panic attacks too. My anger would go directly to like (laughs) seven years before. And, um, I started, I met my current husband. We met in, um, my current husband, that sounds weird, but (laughs) (laughs) my forever husband, (laughs) my current husband, (laughs) Um, husband of the week. Sorry, Brian, Brian, not just my current husband. Um, but we met in 2018 Mm -hmm. and I remember my, I lost my father almost suddenly just after I met him. And so I was going through that. I was going through the pressure of, um, the job I was in and not being really, I mean, supported, I guess, but not really. And like the time I kind of needed to take to process everything that happened with my dad. And I remember that anger was raging at that point. And I remember just crying and saying to Brian, who was my boyfriend at the time, 
I'm so angry and I don't want to live this way. Like I'm, I'm not used to being mad. Like I'm not an angry person, but I can't get past this anger. I used to cry angry tears on the way to work every morning in the car and like starting your day crying on the way to work is not a good way to start it. And I didn't know what to do. And he said, you know, what would it look like if you kind of just let, let, like, let yourself feel that. And then maybe, and like, let go. Um, but if you try to keep fighting it, you're going to fight it forever. And he was so right. Um, and being, I was finally able to let go of that anger. Uh, one of my dad's friends actually had taken me kayaking again, movement. He talked to me too. He said, we need to move. We need to, he had suffered from PTSD from Vietnam. And he was one of my dad's, uh, you know, closest friends. And we went kayaking, got on the salt water, went kayaking. And he talked to me too. And he said, you know, you've got to get out in nature. You need to move. And you know this, but I'm going to tell you again, this is what you need to do to find peace because you're not going to find it if you don't change what you're, what you're doing. And honestly, that is what set me on the path to being able to not be that angry. And I don't think I could have let all this other stuff into my life and into my world had I not let go of that anger and resentment that I had to something that happened. Like, cause I say it happened to me, you know, at that point it was five years, six years earlier. And I was hanging, holding on to that so tightly. Once I let that go was when I was able to let some of this other stuff into my life. Not that I perfected it, not that I have perfected it, but I am much healthier now. And it was only when I let go of that resentment and anger and just accepted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm reading. um, Have you read the, the body, the body keeps the score? No, I think I've heard of it though. Yeah. It's it's really good. Everything you're talking about, um, PTSD, they talked to, uh, Vietnam vets and world war two. There's it's very scientific. It's really great. But I like, I just keep coming to like, I'm actually on the chapter right now where he's talking about like what to actually do. Like, how do we get out of this? What do we Mm -hmm. do? But like movement, like really these basic things, right? Movement, nature, (laughs) water, like the basic of basic things that people just, you know, when, um, when I was going through all this and I started, and I, I mean, not to like, I'm not going to shame any course because these programs have worked really well for some people, but like I tried like the 21 day fix with the workouts that went with it. And when I couldn't make that work, I was like, how can I not make a 20 minute workout work? I don't understand. Like, this is not making any sense to me. Maybe I like, maybe I failed. Maybe this is what it's going to be the rest of my, the rest of my life until it was probably just me just being confused, not understanding because my therapist had, she introduced me to the concept of meditation walks. I thought she was out of her mind. I literally, I was like, Joan, come on, like a meditation walk. What are you talking about? Right. And she's like, like, go, go, go. And she's like, Hey, I'm like, no, I run. But I, she's like, well, when's the last time you ran? I was like three years ago. (laughs) So so, (laughs) I play soccer. When was the last time? Well, three years ago. So she was like, listen, two, it combines two things, you know, movement and nature. And I can't, I I camped. Um, I was like, I went camping my entire life as a kid. And I found that, you know, being around campfires is really soothing to me um, as well. So she was like, it combines two things that, you know, you love, which is nature and and movement. And so I'm like, what, what are you even talking about? And she's like, well, you walk, you literally go for a walk and you look at, like you say to yourself, you verbalize it either out loud or in your head, 
look at that yellow leaf, look at that blade of grass. Look at, and you describe to yourself. And I was like, you're, I don't, this is never going to work. And I, I ended up, I still think back to those walks I would take and they make me feel at peace. Even now, like those are some of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And you get out of your head and into your body. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that concept either. So even if in the moment I didn't feel like they were working because I was still, my body was still retained. Like you said, the body keeps score. My body kept score. Like, and it was like, you know, body 65 to Michaela zero. <laughs> like it was just like the trauma and all of these traumatic mm-hmm. responses were just racking up the points. Yeah. And um, so even if in the moment, like in that meditation walk, like I was expecting immediate results all the time. Yeah. Cause here's and, a pill, here's a pill right. and this will fix it. And it's like, shoot, it's not that. Yeah. And, but I still realize the power that that had on me because even now when I'm you, I'm, I'm working out, I'm, I've figured out a bunch of things that are making me feel a lot better and I'm consistent with them. Um, I still think back to those walks and they, they bring a sense of peace to me. And I'll do that sometimes if I'm, uh, really, if I, my body keeps score, but I don't have those, I don't have the massive physical responses anymore because the triggers, like I've just, I've come a long way. Um, in lots of, I mean, just holistically, I guess when I have one of those physical responses and I don't even know what the trigger was, I'll do something similar to that, like a shortened meditation walk Mm -hmm. or get myself. I'm like, okay, I need to move. I need to have less sugar, drink more water. And I need to, um, you know, get a little more sleep. Like it's just so basic, but nobody ever, again, like, I think I didn't know. Like, yes, I took health class in high school. Like, yeah, I knew that playing sports was fun, but I didn't understand what it really meant. It's not explicitly taught. Like habits, like healthy habits is not explicitly taught. Like when I think about health class in high school, like, I don't know, I remember like sex education and I remember yeah. learning about like the body and like different body, you know, organs and whatever, but like or like, don't smoke. I had, I had dare growing up, right. Don't mm-hmm. smoke, say no to drugs, all of those things. Right. But like, Hey, it's really important that every single day you get seven to eight, nine hours of sleep that you as an adult set a bedtime. That was never something that no. you start your day drinking a shit ton of water before you turn to coffee, that you have vegetables with every single meal. Like that, Hey, it is actually okay for you to have some cookies, but here's how to not eat all of the cookies. Like none of those things are explicitly taught ever, Mm -mm. ever that. And you know, it's funny not to like mention programs, but I did finally, after like months of seeing it, I guess, promoted, advertised, whatever talked about, I realized that especially, especially, so my husband is from the Midwest. And so he grew up eating he never skips a meal ever. He gets hangry. Also, like I don't, I can skip all my meals. I don't, it doesn't affect me other than like, I, it does affect me like, cause I'll overeat on something, but I don't, I'm not like, Oh my God, I miss lunch. He can't miss, he cannot skip a meal. And he has a very well-rounded, uh, meal every time. So there's always like a carb and he loves sweets and he can, you know, he can gain, he was in the Navy for 22 years. He can gain five pounds and lose 10 in like three days. So he's just like, like everybody, like the stereotypical, like, you know, it's pretty easy for him to maintain, um, what he needs to maintain. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I didn't realize how important 
the nart like certain nourishment was and making sure that like there's always a vegetable and always this. So I was I was used to trying these. I didn't think they were restrictive diets, but in hindsight, they were. And it was impossible with him to do that because now I'm like, okay, at the end of a busy day, when I'm still in this, are we thinking about cooking two dinners? Like what, this is too much. And like, I want to enjoy dinner with him. Um, and you know, I I just, I'm like, this is too, I can't do this. This is like, I can't do these restrictive things because it's not, I feel like a failure. So really starting to like retrain my brain into saying like, no, it's okay to still love your cupcake. (laughs) It's okay to still love the cookie. Like you should, because if you, if you try to cut that out, you're just going to continue to want it even more because you're telling yourself you can't have it, um, has been definitely a game changer for me and how I think about like food and what, how food serves me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like going back to what we talked about, like, like sometimes I do have a crappy day, like yesterday and we did get a cookie and I ate that cookie and it was the best part of my day. Like it, it was like, it was emotional eating, but it also wasn't, um, I didn't have to eat 15 cookies. Like it was a decent sized cookie, but like, and I'm okay with that. But in the past it, Oh, you can't, you can't, you can't have sugar. You can't, that's not okay. Um, but then it just stops. It's, but it takes a long time to get there too. Like it's not overnight. Yeah. No, it's not. I've learned that too. And I, um, I'm trying, you know, I've also learned like, so a lot of the things like the restrict, real restrictive, um, programs is like, it takes so much to get yourself to like, to, to do that every single day that like when life happens, it's so easy to get thrown off course. And then to think about like, I, so, um, not promoting Peloton, just, I, it's so much more that now than it was even when I bought, I, I got the bike. Cause I was like, I can work out at home with a spin class. Great. Cause if I just buy a bike, I'm going to ride for three and a half minutes and be like, I'm done. Like I, I'm yeah. done. So that's really where that came from. It was just the need to be able to work out at home, but on something that was going to keep me like engaged in like in the game. Um, but there's a lot now, like I, I think I seek out communities of people that talk about that, that address a lot of what, like what we're talking about now and I listen to it on podcasts. I have a long commute to work. Um, I listen to a guy Instagram, right? Like I'll like, that's what my Instagram is. I just follow people I don't know, um, who talk a lot about this stuff because I feel like I'm always learning something new or connecting to what somebody's saying. So this whole notion of, um, don't say I get back on track. And I was like, Oh, I've been saying that for like forever because that implies that you got off track. And it's, it's not off track. It's just part of your, this is, it's just your journey. Yeah. And that's, that's been really powerful for me. Um, I'm not, I'm not perfect at it. Like it's, I'm not saying I don't, you know, struggle with the fact that like weight's not coming off the way I want it to like the symbolic 70 pounds that I gained, like Mm -hmm. symbolically losing those would be like, I shed the weight of that experience. But I even think about that a little bit differently now too. Like, okay. I don't have to take off those 70 pounds in order to feel like I shed that weight of that experience. I don't. Um, and I have like a new goal that is not close to 70 pounds, losing 70 pounds. Um, and I'm actually like super okay with that. And it took me a long time, like just really just recently to, to get to that point. Um, but like that whole, don't say I'm going to get back on track. I need to get back on track because that implies you did something wrong. Um, just that thinking, just that mindset. I'm like, Oh, that's really helpful. Okay. You talked about movement for anxiety. What, um, is there stuff that you do every day when it comes to movement 
And like, how does it specifically, how do you notice, like, is it your body that you notice the anxiety or is it your head? Cause like, right. Like you can have the physical yeah. sensations or you can have the constant thinking. So like, what do you notice changes? Um, that's a good question because I think it, it has, it's, it's morphed and changed as I've, I mean, getting myself out of the environment that was, that was causing like not, a, some people have developed anxiety, not for a reason of like, it's not, it's not situational. Right. I always say mine's situational, but it ended up being like an eight year situation. So <laughs> at this point it's here and yeah. um, it's, so it's morphed. I think what I notice is if I, I notice it more, if I don't work out, I might be a little bit more irritable. Um, I have trouble focusing during the day. So I get less accomplished and feel more frustrated with myself if I don't work out. So that I fell down this in June, I took, this is my first summer I ever took off. So I, I took the summer off first summer of my life that I didn't work. Yeah. And partly I did that to work on getting my business off the ground. And second, because that's like a, it's, yes, it's a passion project, but it's also, it's to serve yeah. others. Um, the second thing was, I was like, I'm going to, I can do this. This is the, I can do this and I'm going to for myself. I had this whole picture of what the summer was going to be, right? We ordered an above ground pool. We ordered it early. It was going to be here. And we were, I was going to exercise every single day. I was going to lay out in that sun, go for a swim. So I can't tell you how much this summer didn't become that two weeks in, I was in a rhythm. I was working out every single morning for like an hour. Cause I had the time I was sleeping in, I was eating better every, I was like, Oh, I, I figured this out two weeks in on June 30th. I fell down the stairs, oh, the whole flight. Yeah. And oh I, my broke, God. I broke my eyes. I, I broke my eye socket, um, and had a, like a really bad, a massive concussion, um, and severed tendons in my eye. Like I, it was a, it was a disaster. Luckily my husband was home. Um, and he was getting ready for work. So that, that threw me because I was like, awesome. Like my first question to the doctor, I mean, other than like, can I, is my eye, am I going to be able to see again? Do I still have an eye was, um, when can I work out again? (laughs) So, because I just like, I was, I was no, so that, but then my husband, five days later, he sustained second degree burns trying to light a bonfire on July 5th. And my husband is the most like responsible person. Yeah. Like he doesn't like, he would never do that. So I didn't even, when it happened, I didn't even turn around. Cause I was like, Oh, nothing would happen to Brian. So he was in the ICU for, so all of a sudden I can't see, I have a massive concussion. And now I'm with him in the ICU. We had quite the July and I was like, Oh no, am I, am I going to, so I was thrown off course, obviously, yeah. because I'm trying to recover. Um, and so what I noticed though, is cause every week I would try to work out and not understanding an eye injury and all the stuff that happens around it and a concussion, it was making me sick. So I was like, yeah. great. So I finally though turned a corner a couple of weeks ago and I started to put 30 minutes. I'm just lim- limiting myself to 30 minutes and I'll do like cardio one day and then uh, weight helped me feel so much better. So what I notice with working out is I, ha- I have a physical response and that I fall asleep right away at night. Um... So when I, when I go to bed, it's like, a, it doesn't matter when I work out. I like to work out in the evenings because I feel my best. Uh, if I have to work out before work, it's going to be like four 30 in the morning. I don't like that feeling. I just, I don't like it. Um, so, but it doesn't matter whenever I work out, 
that night, I, it's just a very peaceful, like I love going to bed and falling asleep. is just a really nice feeling rather than having my brain going everywhere. So physically I feel tired, but mentally I feel more at peace. And so that's what working out just those 30 minute, like either high intensity intervals or, uh, you know, heavy, not like super light weights, not super heavy weights, but like a good weight training workout, 30 minutes is what it takes for me. And it changes my entire day. So I can focus better on all the tasks I have to do. I feel better about myself and endorphins just naturally do that. But I also fall asleep at a lot more easily without feeling like I have to scroll on my phone and do all those different things. It's just working out really sets the tone for me for everything else. And I just feel more relaxed. I actually feel like I could take a nap sometimes after I work out instead of feeling all jacked up. Like I used to after playing soccer and not being able to fall asleep. It's more of like a, it's like a relaxing thing now. Yeah. Do you work out from home? Yeah. 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 So since you're a teacher, I'm going to relate this. So I, um, talk about zone of proximal development and how, what you are able to do on your own, maybe you're able to do 30 minutes on your own. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not as intense as the 21 day fix workout. And maybe it's not right. as intense as if you worked out with a personal trainer or you went to a CrossFit right. class, you were a part of a team, but 30 minutes is what you can do on your own. And maybe every now and then you go to a class or you go in whatever, but like you're going to be able to do more with other people, but maybe just 30 minutes. And like you said, maybe it's cardio, maybe it's a walk when maybe it's the 30 minute meditation walk, but like, that's what you can do on your own. But I think for a lot of people, it's really hard to be okay with 30 minutes. Oh, it is. It's really hard. I, I still, even today, I was like, I want to, I want to get in another, but I said to myself, if I do that today, and then I can't work out for like three more days because I've done something like, especially with the injury, I'm going to be mad at myself. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold it here, which is a really hard thing to do. Um, because my go-to is running. That's honestly like, that's my happiest is when I can go for a run yeah. and, um, that makes me feel the best. And I was working that in, in those first two weeks of summer <laughs> and I had a whole plan. Uh, and then that, you know, that, that just didn't, it didn't yeah. work out, but, um, yeah, if, if I could work a run in, I totally would. So what I try to do is I try to mimic or replicate that feeling I get from running with the other workouts that I do so that I'm like, I, uh, people talk about yoga. Maybe I'm just being stubborn and hardheaded and I really do need to do yoga, but I need uh, that feeling of like my heart pumping yep. and the sweat. And, you know, I know I, I didn't realize that lifting weights did what it did for me until I did just a weight workout. And I was like, Whoa, that really made my body. I'm relaxed right now. I feel great. And it has to be a certain, it can't be like, like super lightweight. It has to be like, I had to really work for that. And so I, um, that's how I'm okay with the 30 minutes. Cause I know that at least it may not be, it may not get me to closer to my weight loss goal right now, but it's going to make me feel so good. And so that right now is what I'm focusing on the most. Yeah. And I'm going to add to that too, though, um, a really good book. I don't, have you read Atomic Habits? No. Okay. I really, I highly recommend it. Podcast listeners know I, I talk about this book, like every other podcast, but like the goals he talks about that, um, Goals are great because they give us direction, but you need a system to get to that goal. Right. And so like you might be able to do an hour workout, but then it falls apart. But if 
you know, it falls apart after a couple of days, falls apart when school starts again. Yes. But if you can maintain 30 minutes of movement and maybe it doesn't like, I tell my people too, like maybe some days it is going to be more intense, but maybe it's just 30 minutes every day. And then you're just, you, you take on that identity of I'm a person who moves my body every day. Sometimes it's more intense. Sometimes it's less intense because that's what your body needs. But, um, if you do that, right, you do that for the next 365 days, you do that for the next two years, the next three years, you're going to live that life that you want. And you're going to get to that goal. It just might not happen in 21 days, but the, but right. it doesn't matter. Cause even if you did, you know, only eat 1200 calories and work out for an hour, you can get to that goal in 21 days, but what happens on day 22, Yeah, you know? Yep. So like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're I want to keep doing what you're doing. Cause you're at like a good place. Like that's like, you need to just stick with that. Yeah. No, I appreciate that because it's almost like coming on the podcast. It was like therapy for me because yeah. yeah, I've been on this journey. And like I said, I was always seeking out like something, but it, it took a while for it to click. And now that I understand the things that resonate with me and that do help me like actually stick to, um, stick to, or, or start to establish a habit is probably a better way of yeah. saying it. What you're saying is definitely resonates with me because it, I had to retrain my brain to, to say like 30 minutes. It needs, it, it sh- I hope it looks like this. Sometimes it can't, and that's okay. And sometimes, you know, I know that what I put into my day is uh, a walk when I'm at school. I want, it's crazy to think back two years ago when I, my, I set a goal for myself for like self-help. I was still a principal. This was my goal, a five minute meditation on Fridays. That was it. Five mm-hmm. minute meditation on Fridays. And I only did it once. I, yeah. I actually missed, I, I had to I canceled it on my calendar every other, every single week, other than this one time I had to actually step outside of my building. I was standing in this corner. I'm like, if people see me, if they drive by, they're going to be like, who's that creepy lady standing in the corner, <laughs> like in the shade where nobody can see me. Yeah. And I put my headphones on and I did a five minute meditation and a, I felt like I was ditching everything I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> And B, like, I only did it that one time. I can't believe that was what I was trying to work into. Like for me, a five minute meditation on one day of a a seven day week. That's insane. So now what I commit to myself and I'm, you know, my own worst enemy, but is to, I know that walks help, like walks help me. It didn't, it may not help me. Like, as far as, again, like like what I really, really want is that 30 minutes or 45 Mm -hmm. minutes of like intense workout. but sometimes I can do that in addition to the walk. And sometimes it's just not, I just can't, but if I take a walk in the middle of the day, my head clears, yeah. I, all of a sudden I get cre- into that creative space where I'm thinking about like, whether it's just the vision of like, oh, I can't wait to do this, this, and this to the house or, oh my God, I have this great idea for how to connect with this kid or, oh my goodness. Like it, it just anything, right? Like that's where like space opens up. It's like everything kind of like, yes, I'm thinking, but it's also the bad stuff is making its way out of my brain and making space and room for a new, for new thoughts and new, um, and I don't even have to necessarily meditate. I can just walk. And so I started putting that into my, into my day because I work so far away that I don't, for most of the year I get home, it's already dark. Yeah. So there's not a way for me to really get outside and, and get that fresh air. 
so and and really have that experience of being outside so during the week so yeah I started to work that in and I kind of held that secret no it's um I say this a lot too like we are all just like five-year-olds in bigger bodies but like what you're describing like like taking kids I taught kindergarten and so when you're talking about the um the, the meditation walk and noticing like, there's a feather, there's a, like, that sounds like something people would do like in preschool, like a little preschool walk, noticing the neighborhood or something. But it's like, again, these like really basic things that we did when we were younger, but it wasn't like, Oh, like explicitly taught, you need to make sure that you're doing this. It was just kind of something that was there. Um, I mean, it's like, knowing what best practices were yeah. and now like, Oh, these are, these are the best practices that teachers do. Let's make sure that other teachers are doing that same thing. Well, for us. Yes. And that's the thing you know, here, you know, talking to you a little bit about your experience and, and then for me, just, you know, going through my own journey of being completely not there for myself. Right. And just just trying to hang on just for sure. I was in fight or flight mode for like yeah. eight years. I was in survival mode for that long. I, I was, that's where I lived. Um, but I also care so deeply for people. So when I, when I was a principal, like my, I took my, that role and the responsibility so seriously because in the opportunity to make sure that people who worked for me felt the best they could feel right. You had bad days that happens, but it was so important to me. And, um, what was, what was frustrating to me is I obviously don't control everything, right? Like I, like there are certain things I have control over, but most of it, I don't. Um, but I used to get so frustrated when I would hear, I would get frustrated for myself, but I was like, well, I'm, I'm a lost cause right now. So, but when they would say they do like a professional development, you know, two days before school started and they have everybody doing yoga for like 30 minutes with this group, they paid like $10,000 to come in and they would say like, oh, self-care is important. Uh, that's one of our like top goals, this uh, pillars this year is to make sure that you can take care of yourselves and then slap on a million, like a pile of work this high that most of it had nothing to do with what teachers really needed to do. And so you're going to talk about self-care. Well, when do you expect them to do this? Like, is this something that they're doing? Like I'm trying to do at seven 30 at night when I'm completely like just drained from a day and they may have kids or other responsibilities. Is, is that really what you're expecting? How about we try to make their, their life easier or their work easier and actually make a meaningful structural change. So that's, um, you know, it's important like for people to understand that. And that's, that's where like my advocacy, I think comes in. Cause I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of getting in trouble for what, what I say, I work for a great principal right now. Um, my, eventually I'll, I'll be out of the teaching role, not because I don't love kids. I, that's like going to be the hardest part of leaving it, but because I know I can serve, I, there's, there's work for me to do to help teachers and, and, and administrators, 50% of whom now say they want to leave the field. Um, and the thing is, it's obviously not because of the kids. Like, yes, they can, <laughs> you can, you can come home. And <laughs> I, I used to tell my sixth period social studies class, like this is going back like 10 years. I used to save them. I love you guys 23 hours a day. And there's one hour every day where you drive me crazy, right? Like I was taking Advil every day at the end of the day, they were ninth graders, but like, I loved them. They just drove me absolutely crazy. And they tested every last nerve Mm -hmm. and patience that I had. Um, But like, that wasn't (laughs) causing me to, that was that, that moment, those moments weren't the reason why it's, it's everything else that 
for people. It's the lack of connection, lack of support, lack of feeling like somebody cares about me or even cares that like I'm struggling with this right now. And we need more of that because we can't do it on our own. Like I was trying to do it on my own as a principal for years and years and years. And clearly I wasn't really getting that far. Like we need, like you said, the communities of people Well, we have a natural community in where we work. And so, but that, that community doesn't always serve us in education because um, there's so many things we don't control in that space. Somebody does, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, we can't always do it by ourselves, like on our own. Yeah. Can you, this is a good segue. Can you tell us a little (laughs) bit more about your business and your podcast and what you do in both of those? Yeah, I would, I would say honestly, like in a nutshell, I, my mission, so I'll say my mission, but then also my company's mission and the podcast mission. It's really the, it's to attack that, that statistic of, it used to be 30%, right now it's 50 mid or post pandemic percent of teachers want to leave within two years of now. And for administrators, for principals, it was immediately. And my mission is to correct that and yeah. to lower that percentage, not, not for a data or statistical reason, but because if somebody's leaving teaching, there's a major reason why. Yes, do some people have life changes? Yes, of course. Like some people are going to leave leave something, or maybe they just didn't love it the way they thought they were going to. But people get into teaching for ki- for for kids. Like you're pulled into that your whole heart and, and soul and being. And so for somebody to say that they want to, that they actually really want to and are planning to step away from that, something is really wrong. I wouldn't have known that as a teacher, but I found out as a principal. And mm-hmm. so when I started to be responsible for teachers, especially uh, in my second school, it was a, a really high pressure environment. And I had teachers who were like 24, 25, 26, or 29 coming to me and saying, I have to make a choice. I, this might be my last year because I want to start a family. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait a second you shouldn't have to make that. And it wasn't just women. It was men too. And I'm like, no, this, this is no, that's not okay. Like this should not, I know that I'm experiencing this, but it kind of comes with the role of in the leadership role. Like, but you, I shouldn't have to worry about that, but you really shouldn't have to. That's when I realized, okay, in my next life, which is happening now, I'm going, I need to help change this so I can help teachers. Like the way that you've been talking about all of these things, like back to the basics, right. Of like what you need to uh, sustain yourself. So it's a lot of that. Like, so before they get to the point of where they want to leave, what can we do? So the, we, I have different guests on my podcast. Um, like I'm looking forward to having you on to talk to teachers or, and leaders just about all the different things about get moving into your day. And why is it important? How can we do that? Because I think of education as right, like a closed circle, right? Like you have to have a very specific degree to even enter into this like special club of educators <laughs> and then we close ourselves off and we're, we listen to just all other educators. And I, I feel like all of this that you're doing, this work isn't, doesn't penetrate. There's no opening for it except unless the, somebody schedules a professional development session, right? And says, hey, come and then no come one talk wants about movement. Yeah. They don't want to go to it because now <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, more stuff I have to do that I'm not going to be able well, to get done. Yes, exactly. So like, how to open that door. So the podcast is really to bring in amazing people that as teachers or school leaders are are driving to work, say, or taking a walk or whatever, 
can actually be exposed to this conversation because this dialogue does not happen in the education space. It doesn't at all. Um, And so to bring that to people is really important to me. Yes, sometimes there are specific, like, oh, how to have a great school opening, right? That was very specific. But a lot of it is this kind of conversation. And then, so the mission is to just catch people before they're at the point where they feel like they have to have no choice but to walk away. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's the mission of the of the company as well. The co- My company does a lot more with, um, you know, teaching people. Yes, c- coaching is important. But hey, by the way, school leaders and district leaders, it needs to be efficient or else teachers are going to feel overwhelmed the coaches are going to feel overwhelmed and it's going to be ineffective. Why do it? So it's a lot of these, like, um, whether it's through courses or through coaching, helping people be more effective, it would be do it efficiently so that they do have the time back to do all this great stuff we're talking about. Amazing. Where's the best place that people can find you if they want to connect? Um, so there are two places lead to two websites lead to the same place. So it's whatever you can spell. Um, no, it's, uh, it's dissect ed podcast, mkj.com. That's the podcast, but also it goes to my website, which is Dr. Keegan Yadley. Good luck spelling that. I'll um, put it in the show. Okay. Notes. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Keegan Um, they both go to the same place, which is my company's website, but also the, the podcast is linked on there. And that's the best place to, to find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for today's episode. I really appreciate you. No, thank you. I appreciate you too. Thanks for the work you're doing. 